Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Father, incline our hearts to your testimonies. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be using Exodus 12 as the jumping off point since Pastor Adam already read that for us. I will not read it for us again, but if you want to have your Bibles open to Exodus 12. We all have them. They are a part of our lives. They are a part of our memories. There are days that we will never forget. Days of rejoicing. Days of good things filled with excitement, overflowing with blessing and joy. But also days littered with tragedy, unspeakable sorrow, pain, and hurt. We can picture those days in our minds, wherever they might fall on that spectrum. Days that are seared into our mind's eye. Such was a day for the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. They had experienced unspeakable sorrow, horrific pain, the threat of death, the anguish of loss and slavery. They were not their own. They were in bondage, slaves to the hardened taskmaster of Pharaoh. But they were beginning to see the Lord work through this man Moses and his brother Aaron. They were beginning to see God do miraculous things, wonderful things. They were beginning to see their captors experience the judgment of God. 
nine different plagues, nine different forms of judgment, nine different attacks upon Egypt, upon their false gods, and upon Pharaoh himself. But as of yet, still to no avail. When is the Lord going to finish it already? When is it going to end? When would the victory march begin? It would end, but it would not end with water being turned to blood. It would not end with frogs or gnats or flies or livestock dying or boils or hail or locusts or darkness. It would end with a lamb. The Lord says, I'm going to completely reorient your lives. This is a new beginning of your year. This is your new year. Your new life is going to start. And this is how you're going to celebrate this new year and every new year from now on. Everything is going to focus on this lamb. Everything is going to focus on this sacrifice. Take this lamb. Not just any lamb, but take a perfect lamb. A lamb without blemish or defect or deformity. Take a lamb for each household. Take it on the 10th day. Keep it until the 14th day, just when you're starting to get attached to it. And then at twilight, everyone, go out of your houses. Kill your lamb. Take the blood of that lamb. Smear it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the door leading into your house. Then take that Lamb, roast it whole, eat the lamb, everyone in the house with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Eat the meal in haste. It's the way my kids always eat, but eat your meal in haste. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. This is the Lord's Passover. And as we, as we read here, this account, it reminds us that the account of the Passover does not happen in isolation in the Bible. It takes place in the flowing stream of redemptive history that flows from Genesis to Revelation. And now we as Christians who know this event, who know the details and see it put on display in the book of Exodus... We see God's glorious plan of redemption, how God would so act and so intervene and so save and rescue His people. And that this event is a way God is pointing forward to a greater day of redemption, a greater day of atonement greater day of rescue, and even a greater day of salvation. And as we read this, we cannot help but think to the gospel accounts of Jesus, and specifically read the accounts of his death on the cross. We cannot help but see explicitly the continuity between the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus and the final Passover lamb, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is not an accident. This is not just mere coincidence, it points to the reality of a sovereign God working salvation for His people, done all so that He might be glorified. And it's from this Passover lamb we learn two important life-altering 
transforming lessons about what Christ has done through His sacrifice on the cross. First, we see that the Passover lamb is a substitute. This tenth and final plague of the Lord was brought against everyone in the land. Both Egyptians and Israelites were prone to experiencing the judgment of this plague. And it was a plague that threatened particular people. It threatened the firstborn of every household. The Lord himself was about to pass through the land and strike down, kill the firstborn, both of man and of beast. But for the Israelites, the Lord provided a sacrifice, a sacrifice that was to take the place of the firstborn, a sacrifice that was to act as a substitute in place of the firstborn. The Passover lamb was sacrificed. The Passover lamb was killed in the stead of the firstborn. The Passover lamb's blood was spilled so the firstborn's lifeblood might remain in them so that they would live The firstborn of every household faced certain death. They were about to die unless they substituted the lamb to die in the place. There was no other way out. There was no way to hide. There was no way to escape. The lamb had to die. The lamb had to be sacrificed if the firstborn was to be saved. The judgment of death that rightly should have fallen upon the firstborn of every single household was the judgment that for the Israelites fell upon the death of the Passover lamb. So it is that Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, is the sacrifice that dies as a substitute for us. It is the recognition that the wages of sin is death. What I deserve, what I rightly deserve for my sin, for my disobedience, for my rebellion against God is death. I deserve punishment and judgment and eternal separation from God for the sin that I have done. And the price of redemption, the price of salvation, the ransom price demanded in order to set me free free, I could never pay. I have nothing to pay with. I have nothing to give, but what I could never pay, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all through his sacrifice as a substitute in my place, taking the punishment that I deserve, bearing my sin in his body on that tree. When you look at the cross, when you look at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, You have to see the absolute horror and desperate condition that we were in because of our sin. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Yeah, he's getting what he deserves by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everyone, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How dangerous a trap it is for us to fall into and think 
I'm not that bad. so easy for us to think that every day, isn't it? It's easy for me to wake up, think, I'm not that bad today, but what does the cross of Jesus Christ scream at us? Yes, you are that bad. You are so bad, you are so sinful that someone had to die for you, and not just anyone, a perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice without blemish or spot. Jesus didn't die in the place of good people Jesus died in the place of the wretched, horrible, vile, lost, destitute, hopeless sinner. You might dare to die for a good person. You might dare to entertain the thought of sacrificing for someone that you think is worthy of your life. But no one in his right mind would ever die for someone who hates you, who detests you, who speaks all kind of evil and malice against you, who lives their life in complete opposition to you. That is outrageous. That is completely irrational and insane in the mind of man. No, no, no. Let that person go to hell. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an unthinkable exchange. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was made to be sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We might receive Christ's righteousness. We might have our filthy garments removed and be clothed in righteous robes of Jesus Christ. And in the ironic twist of God's plan of redemption, Jesus, who is the first born son dies in the climactic divine judgment under the darkened skies and opens the doors of God's house. Jesus is the Passover lamb whose bones are preserved from being broken and whose blood proclaims freedom rather than condemnation. Come, 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 guilty ones Weighed down with sin. The freedom you long for is found in him. Second, the Passover lamb is a shield. You've slaughtered the Passover lamb. Now take a hyssop branch, dip it in blood, smear that blood on the lintel and the doorposts of your house. There it is now, the entrance of your house The way in is completely covered with blood. There's no mistaking which houses are covered by the blood. It's right there on the very entrance into the house. Why do the smiths have that red stuff around their door? Then what does the Lord say? When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The Lord God himself is going to pass through the land and he will see the blood and it will be 
because of that blood that God passes over those houses, the almighty, holy, righteous God is passing through the land. And his judgment that is falling upon sinners and his wrath is blazing forth and the firstborn die. But the blood stays his hand from those houses that have smeared it around their doors. The judgment of God and the wrath of God do not come upon them because there has been a sacrifice. The judgment has come to the Lamb so that the people are saved from judgment and they're also saved through judgment as judgment is happening all around them in the land of Egypt. The blood on the doorposts and the lintel does not only save them from death. The blood on the doorposts saves them from God. It is this question that we Christians can say sometimes without much thought. Are you saved? As Christians, we know what we mean when we ask this question, are you saved? We mean, are you a Christian? Do you know Christ? Have you repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Him? But it assumes something. It assumes that people know what they are saved from. What is it that you need to be saved from? What is it that is your greatest problem? We might answer that we need to be saved from our sin. We might answer that we need to be saved from death. I am not denying either of those things. They are true. But there is ultimately more that we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from God. We need to be rescued from the wrath of God that is upon us because we are sinners. That is anyone's greatest need, to be saved from the holy, righteous God of the universe. And it's something that we can never do for ourselves, no matter how hard we would try, no matter how much effort we would put into it, we can never save ourselves from God's wrath. And this is the beautiful picture. God has provided a way to save us from himself. God has provided a way for his wrath and judgment to be dealt with so that we could be rescued and saved. God has provided a way for us to again live with him in complete harmony and peace. peace. But it's no longer the blood of this Passover lamb in Exodus 12 that shields us. There's a better Passover lamb, a Passover lamb whose blood is better, one whose shedding of his blood completely satisfies and completely extinguishes the wrath of God. Do you understand that that's what Jesus was doing on the cross? He was drinking the cup of God's wrath. The cup of wrath that was reserved for us as sinners, the cup of wrath that we should have drunk, it was Jesus who drank the cup of wrath and drank it all, drank it down to its dregs, drank it down so there's not so much as one drop for you to drink. Drank it down so there's no wrath for the one who is in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, what wonderful news. There is no wrath of God reserved for you. God's wrath and judgment have been completely satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. God, as both judge and redeemer, has saved us. He shielded us from himself and from his wrath. And it's right here that 
often many would like to argue with Christians, with us. God, as a God of wrath, I cannot accept that. That is an outdated picture of God. God, as a God of wrath, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's what you see when you read the Old Testament, but that's not the New Testament. I cannot believe in a God who is full of wrath and anger. To this we would say, you cannot read the whole Bible from cover to cover and not see that there is a God and that sin arouses the very wrath of God from beginning to end. It is the truth of the Bible. But what do people say? I don't believe in a God of wrath. I believe in a God of love. They think there is no way that God can be both wrathful and loving at the same time. We might struggle with that if we think of wrath and love merely on an imperfect human level. How do we know wrath? How do we know love? We certainly do not know them perfectly expressed in our own lives or in the lives of other people around us. But both God's wrath and His love are completely perfect as attributes of God and both are in perfect harmony in Him. And we see that these two meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's wrath that needed to be appeased and satisfied because of our sin, because of our evil. And it was God's love that did the appeasing or satisfying. And it's right here that we have to get it precisely right. God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us. Let me say that again if you missed it. Let me say that again because this is important. God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loved us. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's the appeasement. That's the extinguisher of God's wrath for our sins. God's love is the source of the atonement, not the consequence or result of the atonement. Praise God that he has taken the initiative to save us from himself. Praise God that his great steadfast love devised a perfect and glorious plan to satisfy his own righteous wrath to save sinners from the pit of hell. Praise God that we are able to know such mercy and grace through faith in the blood of Christ. And I think of those families huddled in their homes that night. They had done everything that God had told them to do. What did work? was the power of their faith that worked through obedience. They did what God said and believed that the blood would be enough. That the blood would be all that they needed. They were not saved by their personal godliness. They were not saved because they changed themselves. They were not saved because they had made themselves clean. They were not saved because they had a great idea of how to get God to ignore their sin. They were not saved because they had pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. No, none of that. They were saved from God only because the blood of the Lamb was over their door. 
And so we are saved by faith in our Savior and believing that His blood is enough to completely extinguish God's wrath and bring us into God's favor. Bring us into the bright sunshine of God's glorious grace. The cross of Christ is set before you now so that the wrath of God would no longer remain on your life. What a terrifying thought it is this night that there are those who could still have the wrath of God resting upon them. That there are those who would stay in this category, those whom the Bible calls children of wrath. Listen to John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Oh, that the wrath of God would remain on no one. Oh, that no one would remain in their sins, remain alienated and hostile and separated from God. And what you need is a deliverer, someone who can deliver you from the wrath of God. Someone who can remove the wrath of God that is upon you. Someone who will drink that wrath for you. And the only one who can do that, the only one who can deliver you, the only one who can remove the wrath, the only one who can drink the cup is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the call for you this evening, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not put your faith and trust in Him, to turn, forsake your sin, and put your full faith and trust in Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord. What do you see when you look at the cross, my friend? What do you see when you see the Son of God hanging, nailed to a tree? What do you see as people spit on Him and mock Him and shame Him? And do you see your substitute Do you see the one who has satisfied the wrath of God and shielded you, saved you from God himself? Do you see your great and final Passover lamb? The Israelites continued to celebrate the Passover year after year after year. And just before the time that Jesus Christ hung on that cross suspended between heaven and earth, just prior to that, people had been bringing their Passover lambs into the temple. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of Passover lambs were being slaughtered in the temple, just a short distance from where Jesus hung on that cross. And there, the blood of those lambs flowed like a river out of the temple. There's just one problem. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But there they stood, slaughtering lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. And the blood continued to flow and flow and flow. And they had blood on their hands. They had blood on their clothes. They had blood covering them from head to toe. It's not working. It's not fully saving. It's not fully redeeming. It's not enough to get to God. What are we going to do? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
open our eyes to behold this lamb. Oh, Lord, we pray. Our only hope for forgiveness, our only hope to be one with you, our only hope for life is in our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us never lose sight of the cross. Let us never lose sight of Christ, our Passover lamb. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.